morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, hope everyone is having a good morning. Man. It is uh, certainly a blessing that we have to, to be together um, here on the first day of the week um, as a family in God. Um, we're all, you know, members of the same body. Yes. Um, you know, even though we have different administrations, uh, different roles, um, we are a part of the same body. Um, with that in mind, uh, before I get to the tell of my lesson, I, I want to talk about cancer for a second. And um, <clears throat> for those of you who may not, may not know what cancer is, cancer is, is um, when normal cells in your body um, begin to multiply uncontrollably, uncontrollably, if I'm saying that with proper English. So um, cancer is not a virus. Um, cancer is not a bacteria. It is your own cells who, are, uh, who have been for some way, form, or fashion, um, they have decided to grow um, at an uncontrolled rate. Um, whether it's uh, cancer cells, or let me rephrase that, cells in your, in your liver, cells in your pancreas, cells wherever, um, they are normal cells in your body that have just decided that they're going to grow wherever they want to grow. Um, they're going to grow here, they're going to grow there. Um, they are as if they are growing without um, growing without mind of what impact it's going to create on the body at large. That's what a cancer is. And we know that the human body, uh, when exposed to a cancer, and without addressing it, certainly if it's... Uh, uh, a cancer that is that is spreading to different parts of the body, um, it has to be stopped, otherwise it will kill the body. But I just want to emphasize again that cancer cells are not abnormal cells, like I got, I contracted cancer from somebody else. No, those are normal cells in your body. And I want to talk about that um, in the context of the time of lesson, which is unity. Um, we all have, um, we are members of a body. Um, and if, as it, as it speaks of in 1 Corinthians, and if we are members of a body, it's important that as a body, we try to, as best we can, live well, you know, eat the proper foods, not expose ourselves to contaminants, and we'll you kind of get in what I'm referring to as far as the contaminants, living well, um, exercising well. Um, and then lastly, also making sure that we go to our doctor or the doctor and get a spiritual checkup, looking for those cancers, looking for those tumors that can lead to other things, and getting those tumors excised from the body as soon as possible so they don't form into a cancer. That will, or, that will ultimately destroy, destroy the body um, as a whole. And I want to start off by talking about what it says in 1 Corinthians, if you have your Bibles. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and uh, verse number 10. And uh, this is a, a very important verse, and I think that really 
that is going to serve as kind of our, our um, focal point for this lesson. And it reads in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, uh, Paul says to the church at Corinth, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Um, balance or harmony or unity is essential for the physical body. I'm going to throw out a word here. It's called homeostasis. And homeostasis means that your body is always striving for harmony and balance and unity in the system. Um, and that's what your cells are looking for. That's what your body is looking for. And that's what we should be looking for um, in our spiritual bodies and our spiritual lives. And this congregation is for homeostasis. We want to be, we, are, we should all strive for harmony, for unity in everything that we do. Now, that is not to say that I need to sacrifice what is right for harmony. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that as members of the body of Christ, there is one thing that cannot change, and that's the Word of God. Amen. So if we look at that as a constant, that we can't compromise God and His will, or we can't compromise um, our decisions um, uh, you know, in order for uh, all of us to, to be harmonious and unified. But what it says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10 is Paul is beseeching the brethren that they be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. There is a reason why he is pleading with the church at Corinth. <laughs> and he's not just saying... I'm, I, I plead with you in, in the name of Paul. He says, I'm pleading with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you, that the congregations of the churches of God be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. It is absolutely critical that we do that. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, the book of Ephesians. Um, and then we'll look at uh, a few consequences of when this doesn't happen. In Ephesians chapter chapter 4, uh, there's one verse that I think it's mentioned a lot. I certainly have, uh, have talked about it before. Um, but one that maybe we skip over a little bit. Maybe we don't put as much emphasis on. It says... In verse number 4 of Ephesians chapter 4, There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. There's only one body. Meaning there can't be two bodies or three bodies. There's only one body, there's only one family, there's only one church that God calls his own. So if we as a congregation... Um, as a uh, as a group of congregations, even here in Merced, California, if we are not perfectly joined in the same mind and the same judgment, we are not a part of the same body. We can't possibly be. That's the reason why Paul wrote two letters to the church at Corinth about this topic. He says it's commonly reported that there's divisions amongst you. Some are 
uh, part of the body of Paul. Some of the are part of the uh, the camp of Apollos. Uh, some of Peter. Some of Jesus Christ. He said, in the body, in the church of Christ, it should not be that way. As a matter of fact, he says, I'm thankful I've only baptized a few of y'all. <laughs> right? We need to all be under the same banner. Amen. And to be under the same banner means that we need to be of the same mind and the same judgment. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, uh, continuing on in, in uh, verse number 11, uh, he's, uh, uh, Paul, in his letter to the church at Ephesus, he says, uh, Christ, God, gave some apostles and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why did he do that? I want to talk about who these people are. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Who are they? What purpose do they serve? Well, we know in the scripture that, uh, um, you know, when Paul told Titus to go to uh, the island of Crete, what did he tell him? He said, I want you to go to all these various places, and I want you to establish congregations and ordain elders to lead these congregations. You know, we, we know what it says in the book of Hebrews that, um, um, that uh, excuse me, not the book of Hebrews, but uh, in Titus as well, that says that an elder that leads his flock or is a shepherd of his flock, it's not that the flock is his, but Christ has given him his flock to shepherd. You know, the one who's the elder who serves well is is worthy of double honor. You know, these apostles, these elders, these uh, these prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Are they not leaders of a flock of, or a family or a congregation? They're shepherds. We know that uh, Christ has given them the job to be shepherds of his flock here on this planet, on this side of life. They're leading the various congregations of the Church of Christ in the way that they should go. That's the reason why Christ gave some apostles, some pastors, some teachers to be spiritual leaders. You know, to steer congregations away from dangerous spots, to keep congregations together in the bond of unity. It goes on to say here in verse number 12, for the perfecting of the saints. That's why he did that. For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The role of these various men and the congregations is to, as it says in verse number 12, is to edify the body of Christ till the body gets to a point where they are all of the same mind and the same judgment. They are come together in the unity of the faith. They all have the same faith. And not so much the same faith, but they're all practicing the same things. They all think the same way. 
It goes on to say in verse 14, because um, there's a colon at the end of uh, uh, verse 13. What does he mean by that? It says, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Verse 16. Again, there, here's where we get this fitly joined together, or joined together uh, phrase. Again, in verse 16 it says, For whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplied, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And, you know, there's a lot that's, that's spoken of there, so I'll break it down just, just briefly. Is that in order for the body to be perfectly joined together, there has to be an exercise of love. We have to be exercising love one for another. Meaning my agenda has to be your agenda. And your agenda has to be my agenda. We can't have separate agendas. We talked a couple Sundays ago. It is a darn shame. It is against the will of God that there's a white congregation across town. There's a black congregation here. And then there's another Hispanic congregation over there. It sounds like we all have different agendas. If the white folk are over here, the black folk are here, and the Hispanic folk are over there. Amen. Does that give the impression that we're fitly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment? Are we the same family? That would be like me having a... having If I adopted... A white child, a black child, and an Hispanic child, right? And me being, uh, you know, having my, my wife and I being African American, or, or in this example, let's just say black. They're all my kids, but this one is really my kid because they look like me. Mm -hmm. The other two, they're just hanger ons. That's not the way God wants it. That's not the way God views his children to begin with. So what the scripture is telling us here is that there has to be an exercise in love. And as it says in the last part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. If we are not, if we have different agendas, if we separate ourselves, one of the things that we're saying is, is that I'm better than you. Or you're different than me. If you have our Bibles, <clears throat> actually, before we do that, let's go back to um, verse number four of Ephesians chapter. And uh, Brother Marzette, can you, can you read that for me uh, again? There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called, and one hope of your call. So if there is only one body and one spirit, 
What happens if there's two bodies? Who's, who's really the good body and who's the bad body? How do you answer that question? I mean, if, if, okay, we can say, <clears throat> we can say that we're all doing the same things. Church over there, excuse me, the congregation over there, the congregation here, the congregation over there. If, in fact, we are fooling ourselves that the only reason why I worship here and not over there is because they're they're doing things the wrong way and we're doing things the right way. Who's the part who's the one body and who's the other body? So that's a that's a that's a legitimate question, right? I mean if there's one body, then we should all be worshiping together. But if we can't worship together, then there's not one body, there's three bodies here in, there's three bodies here in Merced. Now some people will say, Thomas, what are you saying? You're saying that there should only be one congregation in every town? I'm not saying that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is why not? Why can't there be one congregation in every town? Okay, I could see that we're in a town like Los Angeles where it would probably be unmanageable. Okay, I get it. But why not? I mean, did Christ put a max or a min on the size of every congregation of the Church of Christ? If we're all one body, there's millions of members of the body of the Church of Christ. Why aren't there just one congregation in the United States of America? Why not? Why not? I mean, if we're doing everything in love, if we have the same mind and the same vision, why not? Cover Bibles. Um... Let's go to uh, the book of Zechariah. <clears throat> Zechariah chapter 10. I'm trying to find a verse that just came to my head. I apologize. Just, just give me a few moments. And I think it's fitting. I just didn't note it. Uh, Start off before we before we before we uh, go into um, Zechariah by first talking about just some backdrops and this is actually in Zechariah chapter eleven. My apologies. Um, Zechariah was a prophet of God uh, during the the beginning of the Babylonian captivity. And what we need to understand uh, when we talk about Babylonian captivity is about the story of the king of King Hezekiah. And I've mentioned this before, 
that uh, King Hezekiah um, was scared or a fear of being conquered by the Philistines. So what he did was is he sent an ambassador over to Egypt seeking their assistance. Egypt said they wouldn't help. So um, he sent an ambassador or he heard that uh, the king of Babylon was passing through the area. So he sent an ambassador over to the king of Babylon hoping to uh, uh, to develop an alliance with the Babylonian king um, so that if the Philistines came over to invade, he could rely on the Babylonians to assist him. Well, the Babylonian ambassador came and he saw all of the beauty that was Israel. And he went and reported it back to the emperor of the, Bab of the Babylonians and said, hey, these guys are weak. They have a bunch of great stuff. I think it would be in our best interest to go over there and conquer them. So instead of the Philistines, the Babylonians uh, conquered uh, the nations of Israel and Judah. Um, Judah later on. Um, and uh, they were in Babylonian captivity, I believe, for 70 years. Something along those lines. In any case, Zechariah, as he's talking, prophesying to the... Um, <clears throat> The congregate, or excuse me, the um, the nation of Judah, and I'm sorry, uh, the Babylonians um, uh, conquered Judah. So I believe, no, I had that right. Israel, because Jerusalem was in Israel, not in Judah. In any case, it's not very important. Uh, the fact is, is that Zechariah's prophesying in chapter 12. He talks to them about two things. He talks to them about two staves or two staves that, two rods. You know, if, if you think of these staves, you, you think of a shepherd's rod. It's got the, the little curve at the end. Um, and he describes two staves that uh, God uses to guide his people. One of those staves is called beauty. The other one is called a band or the band. And I like uh, the, the nature of our song as we transition to Bible class in the morning. You know, bind us together, Lord. Bind us together with chains that cannot be broken. Um, in this particular instance here, um, you know, the, there's two staves that, two staffs that God had. The, the beauty and bands. And he used these two staffs to guide his people. He used these two staffs as a means of protecting his people from the wolves. Why does a shepherd have a staff? It's not necessarily for him to lean on when he's bored. It's a weapon of defense. If there's a wolf, um, if there's anything that, that he needs to, to do to, to stave off a bear or a predator, he's going to use that staff, that long staff, to whip and whap and, and to move and protect his, um, to protect his, his sheep. So, in this particular instance, starting at, uh, at verse number 7 of chapter 11, um, Zechariah says these words um, as he's prophesying, or as, as God is using him as his mouthpiece, rather. He says, I, and I will feed the flock of the slaughter, even you, O poor of the flock. And I took unto me two staves, the one I call beauty, 
and the other I called bands, and I fed the flock. Three shepherds also I cut off in one month, and my soul loathed them, and their soul also abhorred me. Then said I, I will not feed you. That that dieth, let it die. And that that is to be cut off, let it be cut off. And let the rest eat every one the flesh of another. And I took my staff, even the beauty, even beauty, and I cut it asunder, that I might break my covenant which I had made with all the people, and was broken in that day. And so the poor of the flock that waited upon me knew, knew that it was the word of the Lord. And I said unto them, If ye think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for, for, for my price thirty pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, Cast it, on, cast it unto the potter, a goodly price that I was prized at of them. And I took the thirty pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Then I cut asunder mine other staff, even bands, that I might break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. And the Lord said unto me, Take unto thee yet the instruments of a foolish shepherd. For lo, I will raise up a shepherd in that land, which shall not visit those that be cut off, neither shall seek the young one, nor heal, nor heal that that is broken, nor feed that that standeth still, for he shall feed the flesh of the fat, and tear their claws in pieces. Woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. The sword shall be upon, excuse me, the sword shall be upon his arm and upon his right eye. His arm shall be shall be clean, dried up, and his right eye shall be utterly destroyed. So if you look at the at the history of the nation of Israel, you can go back and you can look at two people. The first one was Rehoboam. And again, if you're writing down notes, this can be found in uh, first, uh, first Kings. Um, and let me flip over there real quick. Uh, 1 Kings uh, chapter 12. So after Solomon uh, died, um, one of his sons became king. And uh, if, you, if you read here, it says that uh, um, the one that became king over Israel was Rehoboam. But the people had a different had a different agenda. Somebody had a different agenda. Some people didn't like David and Solomon and now Rehoboam continuing uh, to be on the throne. So other people in Israel, they said, you know what, we like Jeroboam better because he is a military man and we want to choose him as our leader. So at that time, the kingdom, the, the unified kingdom of Israel was divided into two. Rehoboam became the first king of Judah. Jer, uh, Jeroboam became the first king of Israel. One body split into two. 
One body split because of two separate agendas. One body that became disconnected. And if you see what happened here in reference to what Zechariah just told us about God taking the staff of the bands and breaking them, what does he say? He said that, I'll take that last staff and I'm going to utterly destroy it and break the brotherhood between Israel and Judah. There was no longer any harmony. There was no longer any unity. There was no longer any strength. And by virtue of that, God's protection, the protection of the staff of the bands, was destroyed. They were left out there in the wilderness without a protector to be chewed up and destroyed by the wolves, the bears, and other uh, other predators at that time. And we know who that is. We know who our spiritual predator is. Our spiritual predator is Satan. The scripture tells us that he walks around as a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. Who is he going to devour? He's going to devour the unprotected. He is going to devour those of the body that are not bound to one another in unity. Let's talk about that for a second. Go back and look at the, uh, the book of Revelation um, when uh, it talks about what the, the church of Thyatira. It says that the shepherds of that congregation, the elders, what do they do? They allowed the woman Jezebel in Revelation chapter 2, verse 18, they allowed the woman Jezebel to come in and start her own agenda. It led to disharmony. It led to a fracturing of the body there. And ultimately, as it says, it led to Satan coming in and doing his thing. There's a reason why in 1 Corinthians, the, uh, the scripture tells us that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. If you've got a small cancer cell in the body, it's got a completely different agenda than the other cells of the body. Amen. Cancer is, it's, it, it is, uh, if you were to talk about cancer, it, it's, it's a bad word, it's an evil word. People talk about cancer like they're beating back the plague or they're, they're fighting against socialism or communism, right? You know, uh, Jimmy V, he says, never give up and again, keep fighting. And, I can't, and I'm missing up that phrase, but, you know, people talk about their fight against cancer and they're, they're struggling with it. It's not necessarily, cancer is, as I just mentioned before, your, the, your own selves who have decided that they're not going to abide by the agenda of the 99% of the body. They're going to do their own thing. They're going to grow where they want to grow at the pace that they want to grow. The body be darned. They're going to grow. They're going to push out and kill all the other healthy cells. They're going to continue to grow and grow and grow and grow until the body can survive, and it does. They don't have the same agenda. Do you think it's a cancer here in Merced that there's three different congregations 
We all have different agendas. Our agenda here is maybe a little different than their agenda, which is a little different than their agenda. We have a congregation that does not support orphanages, does not, does not uh, support uh, um, evangelistical work. We have another congregation over, over there, right, that uh, celebrates holidays and, and other things. Um, we have another congregation who says, nope, we're not paying our preacher." We have another congregation that says, yes, we are. There's one congregation that says, yeah, we're going to pay our elders. And another congregation that says, no, we're not. There's one congregation that says, we are not going to feed the poor. One congregation that says, we are. One congregation says, we are not going to help orphanages and uh, uh, Christian ministry works. There's one congregation that says, we are going to uh, support uh, quote-unquote churches of Christ universities. There's one congregation that says that they won't. What I'm getting to is that there's a whole bunch of different agendas. That is by definite, if we're all the same body, then the body here in Merced is cancers. we got a bunch of different cancer cells growing individually with their own agendas. Amen. Amen. So I go back to you what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all, all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you. But that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind, in the same judgment. What are the consequences of us not doing that? Go back and read the history of the Israelites. They were a spiritual house. They were a spiritual family of God. God protected them with two staffs. The staff of beauty and grace and the staff of bands in unity. Those are the two staves that God used to protect his people. Now my lesson isn't necessarily about the beauty and the grace staff, but that one got destroyed. But the final one, right? The final one, the, the, the final source of protection that we can find, that we can use to keep ourselves unspotted from the world, to keep ourselves protected from the fiery darts of the devil as a body is the staff of unity. We have to be unified. The United States of America is the longest running democracy in human history. Humans have been on the planet how long? I don't know. Thousands and thousands, I mean, what? We're in 2000, 2019. That was, you know, before Christ, or that's A.D. How many years in the B.C.? I don't know. Let's, let's just throw a number out there. Hundreds of thousands of years humans have been on the planet. This is the longest-running democracy in human history. How long have we been a democratic um, country? 200, I don't know, where are we at? 200, 300 years? In the span of 100,000. 
We're saying that this is the longest run democracy. We're calling it success because we've been a democratic country for how long? 300, 400? That's less than 1% of the entirety of the existence of mankind. And what I'll tell you is, is that we will fall. There's so many agendas in this country. Yes. Mm -hmm. There's the agenda of the Democrats. There's the agenda of the Republicans. There's the agenda of the alt-left. There's the agenda of the alt-right. Alt There's the agenda of the, you know, of this. There's the agenda of that, the rich, the poor. You know, there's a whole bunch of agendas. Mm -hmm. It's almost like we're not one country anymore because we don't have the same mind and the same judgment. I think certain things are wrong, but others think certain things are absolutely right. Mm -hmm. You go from California to Texas, they're all in the same union, completely different states. It's like they're different countries. They run things entirely different. Now, I would say the beauty of our democracy is that is, um, and, I'm, and, and, I, and I don't mean to go into the woods, but if you have an opportunity to read the Federalist Papers, that is the only thing that is really keeping our democracy afloat, is that we allow states certain autonomy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We allow states to, to run things, to handle their own budgets, et cetera, et cetera. The federal government is just there, quote unquote, to protect the interests of the body at large. However, let California say, I'm gonna, we're going to do our own thing. Let California as the, what is it, kids, the fifth largest, the fifth largest, uh, what do they say, um, economy, thank you, the fifth largest economy in the world. What if we said, you know what, we're not going to pay federal taxes. We're going to do our own thing. We are going to be the cancer of the union. We're going to let people do this, con completely contrary. Let's say uh, California became a socialist state, which, anyway, I don't want to get into politics. But let's say they did that. And other states picked up on that. And another state picked up on that. And another state picked up on that. It would be dangerous. How do I know this? Go back and look at the Civil War. One state said, we are not giving up our slaves. I don't care what that president says. Another state says, yeah, I like my slaves too. I'm not giving them up. Another state says, yeah, we like, you know, we're going to uh, secede from the Union. That cancer grew and they had a war. They had a, a, a cancer treatment, if you will. Thankfully, one side prevailed over the other. But what happens if we don't, if we're not unified? We expose ourselves to harm from Satan. So if you have, uh, uh, if you can go to the uh, scripture reading, uh, Brother Thomas, uh, can you read that one more time? Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion of one another, love as brethren, pitiful. Be courteous. Not really evil for evil, or railing for railing.
but very wise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. In 1 Kings chapter 12, and, and you don't have to flip back there, I'll read it for you. Because um, we're almost done here. 1 Kings chapter 12. This is what it says in verse number 19. Alright, let's start at verse number 18. <clears throat> verse number 18, it says, The king Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was over the tribute, and all Israel stoned him with stones that he dug. Therefore, King Rehoboam made speed to get him up to his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. King Rehoboam sent Adoram down to Israel to get some tax money. I'm the new king. I'm going to send my guy down to Israel and get my money. The Israelites were like, no. No, we, we're, we're a disenfranchised people. You haven't paid us any mind. You don't care about us. You're overly taxing us. We haven't seen y'all in forever. And here you come with your guy trying to get tribute money. So they took him and stoned him. Verse number 19, it says, So Israel rebelled against the house of David unto this day. And it came to pass when all Israel heard that Jeroboam was come again, that they sent and called him unto the congregation and made him king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. You know, one of the dangers of unity is when we Render evil for evil. You slap me, I slap you back. I want you to consider the reason why this congregation exists in the first place. Does anybody know the reason why this congregation begins in the first place? If I'm going to be giving my contribution to y'all, right, I need to feel like I'm getting something in return. And way back when, the brethren, they tried. They tried to come together, but they were like, you know what, we're, we're disenfranchised. You're taking our contribution money. We're not getting anything in return. You're not willing to work with us, so we're going to do our own thing. But I'm not saying that's bad. What I'm saying is, is that's not the way God intends for it to be. God didn't intend for the nation of Israel to revolt against Judah just simply because they didn't like their king, or simply because they didn't like their, the fact that they were being taxed. Do you recall God said that through David that his that God promised David that one of his children would remain on the throne forever? Yes. That child ultimately led to Jesus the Christ. That's the way God intended to be, but because these people felt the way that they felt, their feelings were hurt. 
They, they, they felt like their, their, their needs weren't met. They decided, we're going we're gonna to do our own thing. We're going to develop our own nation. We're going to establish our own king. And, <clears throat> but what does the scripture say about us? Or what does the scripture say about the way God wants us to be? Uh, Thomas, uh, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll do it. You're, you're jotting down notes. He says, finally, in 1 Peter chapter 3, in verse 8, finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one for another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. My agenda, the only agenda that I should have is your agenda. Now, we could all be wrong. We could all be right. But we need to have the same agenda. Amen. You know, one of the things that I like about the, uh, the, the congregations of the Church of Christ that my family is aligned with, they're all on the same page. Yes. Do I think that they've got it wrong? Yes. But guess what? They're all on the same page. Yes. Mm -hmm. They're stronger than we are. Because they're unified. Yes. We're weak because we're fractured. Peter says here, and, and as you can see here in chapter 3, he's, he's talking about you know, the, the familial bond between a husband and a wife. And so I'll, I'll say this to you. Can a marriage exist if the husband and the wife have separate agendas? As a matter of fact, right in the book of Genesis, when Eve was created, God said, you know, this is your woman, because she's bone of your bones and flesh of your flesh. Therefore, a man shall, shall leave his mother and his father and his cleave to his wife, and they twain shall become one flesh. If they're one flesh, one body, they cannot exist as a body. They cannot survive as a body if the husband and the wife have different genders. So what are they? What must they do to remain unified? Remember, we talked about it, it has to be an exercise in love. Yes. They have to, have to have compassion. They have to love one another as brethren. They need to be pitiful and courteous. They need to be thinking about the interests and well-being of others. And I'm not passing judgment on this congregation, on the congregation here, on the congregation over there. That's, that's not what I'm doing. What I'm saying is, is that is not what God, that the current condition of things is not what God would have it to be. Amen. I find it absolutely ludicrous that every denomination on the planet Earth can get it right, but we can't. You can't be a Catholic diocese without somebody from the Catholic main office coming to, coming to this place and saying, okay, are you doing X, Y, and Z? You have to do it the way that uh, the head guy says you have to do it. Otherwise, you can't even put the name on your marquee. 
We all know what the first Baptists preach because all the first Baptists do the same thing. We know what all the Jehovah's Witnesses preach because all of them do it the same way. There's not first Jehovah's Witnesses doing it this way. No, because they have a creed. They have laws. They have bylaws. They have parameters. They have all of these things as structure. Maintaining their unity as a body of the Jehovah's Witness, or the Latter-day Saints, or the Catholics, or the Presbyterians. But when it comes to the Church of Christ, oh. we got an entire book, <laughs> right, Amen. that lists all the churches of Christ and their various agendas. Amen. I don't know about you, but that is an absolute travesty of astronomical proportions. Mm -hmm. Amen. How can we overcome that? We have to exercise love. Yes. We have to be, as it says there in verses 8, and certainly in verse number 9, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing. Knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. Somebody got upset with the congregation over here and said, Fine! I'm leaving! And I'm taking this portion of the congregation with me. We're going to do our thing over here. Would you ever see somebody as Jehovah's Witnesses doing that? It wouldn't happen. You know why? Here's why. They've got a panel of elders. And these panel of elders, they make the decision on what is right what is wrong. You can't do that. As a matter of fact, if you even try to do that, the shepherds of those flocks will say, Poop! And not just boot, you can't communicate or conversate with any other congregation of our type in the world because we have rejected you entirely. So what do people do? <laughs> you best believe they told a lot. They want that protection. They want that unity. They want that fellowship. They, oh, I'm not stepping out. I'm staying in. Do you think that's any different than what the, the Bible preaches? Okay, yes. I'm not talking about having an ownership of panel. But the Bible says that we need to be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. What mind and what judgment? The mind and the judgment of Jesus Christ and in, and in His Word. He is the God who says what is right and what is wrong. We talked about People have been disfellowshipped with and going over to another congregation. Why is that? That shouldn't be the way that it should be. If you've been disfellowshipped with one, you're disfellowshipped from all. Why can't we get it right? Do we need a leader? Do we need to have a central organization in order to do this? I don't know. Maybe we do. Maybe we do. Maybe we don't have enough faith 
Maybe we don't have enough trust in this Bible to lead us in the way that we should go. Maybe we do need somebody to tell us what to do. Maybe we do need a group of men in a high place to say, I'm the grand poobah of all Christians. And I'm making all the decisions. This is the way you either like it or don't like it. You either like it or get out entirely. Maybe we do need somebody like that. But we already have somebody. Amen. We do have shepherds. Granted, we don't have elders here. But if we did, yeah. There's elders over there, yeah. There's elders over there, yeah. But they should be leading the sheep in the same direction, with the same mind and the same judgment. We are, there are, we are suffering from cancer. Here in Merced. We're suffering from cancer in Atwater. We've got huge buildings, people. Huge buildings. We could easily fit everybody in one building without any issues. We've got the footprint. We have the resources. What is the problem? Brother Bill, what's the problem? Well, here's the problem. The lack of unity. We are not exercising love enough. We're not being pitiful enough. We're not being courteous enough. We're not loving as brethren. Some will say, well, I think the scripture says this. And another person says, I think the scripture says that. That's a problem. You know, it can, you know how that can be overcome? What does it say? First Timothy. Chapter 2. What is it? Verse 10? Verse 15? Which one is it? Okay, let's, let's look at it. I think it's 2.15. Can you read that? Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Uh, that's 2 Timothy 2.15. Yeah, excuse me, 2 Timothy 2.15. I'm sorry. 2 Timothy 2.15. I'm sorry, brother. What does Hebrews 10.25 say? Okay, let's go back and read it. Let's go back and read it. Hebrews 10, 25. What does that say? Brother, Brother Bill can probably say it from memory. Not forsaken of the cells, not forsaken the assembly of ourselves together, as a matter of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more. Uh, thank you. I think the scripture says this, you think the scripture says that. That's a problem. How can that be overcome? Studying and what? Okay. Studying and assembling ourselves together. We will never be the same mind and the same judgment if we don't get together on a regular basis for study. We'll always be fractured. Amen. We'll never be on the same page if we don't sit and talk and study. Mm -hmm. Now, it can't be, I think, it can't be just me talking off the top of my head. 
okay, you think that way. Show me the evidence in the scripture. Show me the book, uh, the, the book, chapter, and verse. Okay? If it fits, if if the, if those verses in the context that you are saying what you're saying, if that is what the scripture says, then you're there's not an issue of you're right and you're wrong. It's we all understand it the same way. Yes. We don't even do that. We study here in this congregation, certainly. And here's where I'll, you know, I'll say this not just to the men, not just to myself, but for all of us. I'm, I'm, you know, we're giving this lesson, but what are we going to do with it? Amen. We study. We do a lot of studying yes. here at the corner of 4th and P. Mm -hmm. Are we sharing that knowledge with our brethren and other congregations? Okay. Are we around them enough? Are we talking to them enough? I travel from Atwater to another town for worship. I think that's so. Not to say that I don't appreciate uh, worshiping with all of you, but mm -hmm. there's literally Amen. a congregation in my own town. I drive yes. past it every mm -hmm. Sunday and every Wednesday mm -hmm. right. to drive over here. Yeah. Why? Well, they got a brother there that we disfellowship from, so I can't worship in spirit and truth that that brother is worshiping there too, so I have to come here. So there's a legitimate reason. But even that, why? Why? Yes. That's not, I mean, even though I have a legitimate reason, that doesn't make it right. That does not make Amen. it a good thing. That is not the way God wants it to be. So, this lesson could be a much to do about nothing. Or we can actually do something with it. Amen. We're playing Russian roulette. Here's what I'll say. God is only going to save, send his son to save one body. That's right. We just got through talking about a body has to be unified. Yes. And if we are not unified with the other various congregations, only one of us is right. That's right. And the others are wrong. So are we right? I pray to God. I pray to God that we're the right. Yes. Because if we're not, we're all in trouble. Yes. Somebody's got to be doing it right. And if we're all doing it right, then shame on everyone in this room because we should be worshiping with them. Yes. Mm -hmm. We should close the building right now and go worship them. But I know what you're saying. You're thinking, no, that's not right. Some these... I can't worship in spirit and in truth with these other congregations because they do some things contrary to the will of God. Is what we think. What do they think about us? They're thinking the same thing, right? I can't worship with them because they are not, they are, they are doing things differently than what uh, contrary to the will of God. Where we had a brother who was worshiping with us for many years. And once we told him we don't believe in certain things, what did he say? 
I said, well, if that's the case, if you think I'm a 